Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of What The Fuck Is Going On. Welcome to another week of our craziness and us just being all around like fun people. But this week we actually have a very educational um, episode from you. So we're going to take a break from talking about relationships, cheating and wanting to kill men to actually talk about something, you know, worthwhile. <laughs> we don't do these very often. But um, yeah, this episode we have a wonderful doctor with us. We have Dr. Fate, who's going to introduce herself right now. Dr. Faye? Oh, hiya. So I'm Dr. Faith and I'm an immunologist. So I'm a scientist at the Francis Crick Institute. And yeah, I'm here to answer any questions. Yes, yes, yes. And the questions we have today is going to be about vaccine. So this episode is going to be a vaccine focused, you know, episode because everyone, my mom, my dad, the cat, the dog, everyone has been talking about vaccines. Even my grandmother in Nigeria has been calling me about it. Everyone is stressed about this, including me, because I literally just feel like we don't have enough information about this. There's not a lot of people talking about it, even though it's everything is on the news. But like, what about me? Tell me what the vaccine should mean to me and why I should get it, make it more personable. So this is why, you know, you guys call we answer because we're just like that amazing but yeah <laughs> you want to so this episode we have your questions and we're going to ask our the wonderful doctors the questions you guys have been thinking about and all the questions you want to know about vaccines so let me just start so unless you're living under a rock even if you're living under a rock you you would have heard about coronavirus like come on it's everywhere even in hellfire they know coronavirus <laughs> So you must have heard about it everywhere. So um, yeah, and if you know about the coronavirus, you know about the vaccine diplomacy, the vaccine, you know, fight that we're having right now. We just don't have one vaccine. We have like about loads. I don't want to give a number because yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't Google what exact number of vaccines we have, but we have loads of vaccines. So the ones I know about are Pfizer, Mordina, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca. We have Sinovac, which is a Chinese vaccine. Then we have Sputnik, which is the Russian vaccine. So my first question to you, um, our wonderful Dr. Faye, is that, <sighs> is there one vaccine that is better than the other? And just let's just get into it. Oh, we're getting we're getting started. <laughs> well, so I guess there's not that there's one vaccine that's better than another. They're all slightly different in the way that they work. So some of them are messenger RNA vaccines, which is more like the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. So they give you a little bit of genetic material and they use your body's machinery to kind of get the whole immune response going um while you have other ones where they give you a small little fragment of the virus and that kind of activates your immune system and they all just get started in different ways i wouldn't say that one's better than the other in terms of efficacy if you just go with clinical trials the pfizer vaccine is said to have a 91 percent efficacy while something like the astrazeneca vaccine is about 76 so if you're going purely on numbers you'd say that one is better than the other using that but that's not how it works. They all work in slightly different ways. So I'll say they're on similar pegs. It's just they're all going by different routes to get there. Okay. Um, now, for the people who are really dumb like me and have failed science and maths like twice, like, 
um, when you talk about one is 91%, one is 75, do you mean that the ones that are 75 are saying that there is a 75% chance you not get coronavirus? And the ones that yeah. are one are saying there's a 91% chance you not get coronavirus. Because if that's the case, it's very clear which one I should be taking. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is where that data has come from. So if you imagine you've got a clinical trial, so we call these double blind placebo randomized clinical trials so you have two groups um you have your placebo group who get either something completely irrelevant or another vaccine that is not targeting the coronavirus or you have your vaccine group who get a vaccine against the coronavirus and they're called blinded because neither the researcher or the participant knows what they're actually getting okay and what they do is they then look and follow those people of the clinical trial after they've had the vaccine or the fake placebo and see who goes on to get symptomatic disease. So they get actual symptoms of the coronavirus and then test positive of coronavirus. So in what they've done in these studies, they've gone in the placebo group, let's say, for example, there's 200 people who have um, got the disease, while in the placebo group, there's five people. So you'll take that and say you've got 95% chance of not getting it if you're in the vaccinated group because only five people got it within that group compared to the 100 in the other group. And that's how they get those numbers. I hope that makes sense. Okay, yeah. yes. <laughs> Ladies. Okay, good. Yeah, that makes sense for me. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Listen, yeah. I'm dumb, dumb and dumbest here, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, one of the main... Sorry, I just wanted to know with this placebo thing, I think one of the main things that... Um, the conversation around testing and whether it's the testing has gone too fast. I remember when um, the Oxford vaccine first came out, they said, oh, it's a 90, was it, there was a this percentage was much higher. And then now hearing that you're saying the 76, it's like it's reducing as time goes by. I got the Oxford one and now I'm a bit fuming that I couldn't even have the option to get the Pfizer one because there's only 76 and the other lot are on 91. Yeah, no, no, it's quite, it's quite interesting. I think, when the Oxford one came out initially, it had a, I think it had quite a similar kind of um, threshold, but it's, it's got, most of these have dropped a little bit because of the new variants that have happened. Mm -hmm. So if the percentage have gone down, it's not because they're no longer as good. It's just now we've got some other variants of the viruses that mean that they're not as effective against those variants necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, also, with the Oxford trial, when they first did it, it was a very complicated trial because initially they were just going to do one dose um, of the vaccine. And then they realised that actually one dose might not be good enough. So they added the second dose to the vaccine trial. So it was very complicated. But the new 76% number has come from a brand new trial that they've just done. Uh, so it's the US trial that's happened. Um, and that's been a much more well-structured trial is the best way of saying it um just because of the fact that there was no changing of the dosing regimen or the time between it it was just a very set trial that they were going to give one dose another dose they looked at us they looked at some peru and they looked in chile and now they've come up overall that it has a 76 percent um protection so yeah those numbers do bounce around a little bit but I think the key thing that people hear is that these are amazing protections. So there have been um, vaccines that have been approved with so much lower protection than this. And I always try and say this. So, for example, okay, so which one are those? Please let us yeah, know. I'll say the most recent one that people have kind of, so there's now a vaccine against malaria, for example, and that has an efficacy of about 43%. And we're jumping out of excitement that there's something against malaria. So when I say like, you know, 90%, this and 70%, this is amazing protection. Um, and the key thing is all these things, it's 76% or 90% 
of protection of getting the disease, but it's 100% protection in all of them from severe disease and hospitalization. So that's the key bit as well. It's like, you know, that's that's the bit we're scared about. Hallelujah. Let's even leg with that one, you know. That's how yes. they should do the headlines on the news. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to die. That's it, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the key bit. Yeah, but um, do you understand why, I know you already touched up on mm. it, but do you understand why people are a little bit, you know, reluctant to get the vaccine? Because, you know, the numbers have been jumping, as Abby said. And also, we have all these variants coming up. And I read somewhere that we're still... We've, we've not gotten all the variants. Like we have the UK, we have the South African one, we have the Brazilian one. There might be another variant next week. Mm. How, you know, it's not one and done. It's going to still go on. So do you get why people are scared to like get this like first batch, can I call it, first batch of vaccines? I know some people in my life who are waiting to be like, okay, let me see how this does next year and then maybe I'll get it. Do you understand yeah. how you feel that way? No, no, I do understand. I do completely understand when people um, feel that way. But why I always say about this is, so for example, Yes, there is a new variant that comes out, but a lot of these vaccines, they will still provide some sort of protection against those new variants. Mm -hmm. And the way that this is going, you know, we might have a new variant and then they're going to adjust the vaccines to kind of match that. But if you've already got some sort of protection and you get a new booster dose, for example, that's just going to boost your immune response and make it stronger rather than still, if you're unvaccinated, you're starting from scratch with nothing. So I kind of think of this, like, for example, with our Oxford vaccine that I was talking about, so it hasn't got a great protection against the South African variant but they've already started creating one that is going to protect from that Mm. Um, and hopefully that will be available from late um, later on in 2021 so later this year but the key thing about that is if you've got some protection at least you will have some protection in place Mm -hmm. against the current variants and then when you have the booster that will give you an additional protection against the newer variants and you're in a much better position than just having nothing so I I kind of see it in that kind of way and it'll probably be more like the flu vaccine that's how I kind of see this going you know I could be wrong but it could just end up being a thing where we are screening worldwide to see what are the main variants that are circulating and then we adjust the vaccine every year to kind of update it and then people get vaccinated and we'll get to the point where we start vaccinating the most vulnerable within our society and then the whole of our society can kind of get back to normal but yeah, it's a, it's a long process. When you're in the midst of a pandemic, you've just got to kind of think, what can we do and kind of get stuff going again? Okay, cool. I know Abby had a question. Hi. Abby? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have a question. In terms of, like, the BAME community, I think it's mm-hmm. no secret that our community was the hardest hit globally. I mean, the American numbers are crazy. The UK numbers are crazy. But we've been the most reluctant to go and vaccine. And a lot of these people actually work in the healthcare sector as well. So from a medical perspective, how, like, do you think we're being, like, BAME people are refusing to get um, the vaccine? You're somewhat being reckless and putting yourself in danger, especially when we know that we are the hardest hit. Do you think that from a medical point of view, we should be the, we should have been the first ones to run and get offered? Yeah, it's such a complicated thing because I completely understand why people are kind of reluctant to to get vaccinated but it's exactly what you said it's like we are disproportionately affected by it so because of <laughs> how our society set up 
we're we're in positions where we're more more likely to be living in poverty we're more likely to be in jobs that are paying less or we're more likely to be exposed to it so we're more likely to be put in positions where we will catch it and then get severe and therefore get disease so in my personal opinion yes i think we should be thinking let, let's get ourselves vaccinated right now but i can understand that because of the mistrust that exists between us and institutions and all these kind of um authorities people are reluctant to get it but i think in terms of protecting yourself and protecting the people that you care about we should be running there's a reason i took up both my parents they're vaccinated as soon as it happened and both of them are vaccinated because i for me it's not worth it like even if i even if i think okay this society is awful it's not it's not set up for black people i know that i care about vaccinating the people that i care about and i want everyone to go out and get vaccinated I hope that answers the question. I think it's critical because, like you say, we're more likely to be disproportionately affected. And they looked at like stats very recently, and it's like people over the age of seventy. If you're Black African over the age of seventy right now, only fifty-nine percent of people are vaccinated. That's scary for me mm-hmm. because what that does is it puts us in a position where we're all like already likely to be disproportionately affected. But if if every other community is moving forward, is it then going to be this? pandemic that's kind of um, persisting within the black community here for me that's not worth it we need to get vaccinated and we need to do it fast but I think, yeah i think with the black community because of mm. you know like as well like you said you know misinformation but also like the worry of the long-term side effects right now it feels mm. like we're in a clinical trial like everyone is involved in this clinical trial like we don't really know what's going to happen in the future and then we're hearing things on whatsapp like i remember there was a video i watched where a pastor was telling his congregation that the vaccine will turn you into a vampire that like that that that's information out there but the Mm. fact that (laughs) the fact that they don't really know the side effects obviously that's the most extreme kind of case and obviously it's a lie but the, the fact that there's no um what what's what the what's gonna what the vaccine can possibly do to you in the future is one thing so for example now i just read that they're stopping the trials for children on the um astrovin the oxford one because of like the blood clots um until they figure out whether the blood clots is um uh, linked to the vaccine now for someone that's already taken one dose of that I am like, what the hell? Like, if that is, and, and I read as well, seven people died in the UK from these blood clots. I know that you can get blood clots of other things like birth control and flying on planes and stuff, but it's still scary. There's, not, there's mm. nothing that's going to make me feel um, at ease knowing that I've already had one dose and so has my mom. Like, I don't want to get a blood clot because of this vaccine. And it just kind of feels like I'm in a clinical trial just waiting to hear. And what if they turn around and say, oh, actually, the oxford um vaccine does give you blood clots then what do we do with the people that have already taken it yeah no that i can i completely understand that it's it is scary but i think the one thing i have to say is it's not you're not in a clinical trial like this um drug has gone through the normal regulatory procedures it would have and even if a vaccine had taken a really long time to get to this point you still have completed the phase three um, trials it would have been administered to people and you'll still be recording symptoms like we're doing right now so there's nothing unique about this situation it's just because the vaccine was produced so fast and people are so used to vaccines taking such a long time that it is scaring people exactly what you said with the blood clots i completely understand that fear if you've just taken the vaccine then you hear potentially there's a link with blood clots (laughs) you know it is scary but like i said we record those symptoms 
they investigate and then they move on. And the incidence of blood clots that we're seeing, it's not higher than what we see with anything else. So I'd say it's very unlikely, like really, really rare. Like I think they've given 30 million doses within, no, sorry, 18 million doses in the UK. And there's been 30 cases of these blood clots. It's really, really low and low in comparison to what you'll see with a number of other conditions, um, like even taking the contraceptive pill. So I'd say wait, listen, but you're probably, it's probably fine and it will mm. be fine. And it's been, even a couple of weeks ago, it was assessed by the European Medical Agency and they said it was fine and it seemed unlikely. But this is a normal part of clinical and a normal part of um, vaccines. It's just to, if you see anything come up, you stop and then you check. But it's not okay. unique to this. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not unique to this situation at all. Yeah. Well, it's just good, have, good regulations. I feel so much better already. <laughs> I hope our listeners feel better too because I'm feeling so at ease right now. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, black people, if you're listening, you're better off taking the vaccine than not. So time for me to call my mom tonight. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Add on to the race debate. I also feel mm. like majority of our listeners are BAME community anyway. So that's why I keep bringing up the BAME questions. Yeah. But um, in terms of the disparity in how the vaccine is being distributed globally, I was very shocked. I mean, Ebola has been around for a while. HIV, there's a lot of things that have been around for a while that have, like, especially Ebola, that was something that happened mainly in Africa. Why is it that we don't have a vaccine for that or it took so much longer for a vaccine to be created? Is there, like, do we, is there an importance? I think when they're making vaccines, do they say, okay, this is affecting the West and we have more money, so we're going to rush to make a vaccine overnight compared to vaccines for like other things, like Ebola, for instance. How does that work yeah. out? Uh, <laughs> politics, <laughs> money, yeah. It's a yeah. whole series of stuff. I think, for example, the example of HIV, I'll use that as an example. That is a very, very complicated disease scientifically. <laughs> like The virus mm -hmm. is a very, very complicated virus. So if you look at the coronavirus, people kind of knew where to start. And we had technology that we were able to go with and it worked. <laughs> Essentially, we were we thought it would work and it worked. And because so much money was put in and there were so many volunteers that were willing to take up the trial, that we were able to move quite quickly and get to where we are. In the case of HIV, it just replicates so, so fast. So when we're talking about variants of concern, this variant here, this variant here, with HIV, variants are just, it's just all the time. It's just one of the things, it replicates so fast that it makes it so complicated to work with. In terms of Ebola, we do now have a vaccine, but it took a long time because when they got to the point where they had something that they were happy to work with, the cases had dropped so low that it was quite hard to actually evaluate it. But it's not as simple as that, I agree. But when it comes to diseases that affect the West, it's treated very, very differently to how it is when it affects other countries like African countries, for example. And the money is a big thing. The level of investment was not there. And it's, we've got to be honest about that. It's not there. And I think the will isn't necessarily always there. This was a disease that was affecting the whole world at the same time. So it was impossible for the mm -hmm. world to continue. So the will of the world was like, okay, we need to pump whatever we can into making sure that we can move because our economies are being affected and those economies in the West are being affected. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't necessarily have all the answers for it, but I would, <laughs> I, I'm always cynical when it comes to that kind of stuff. And yeah, when it comes to the West, it's a very different approach 
And so, the point yeah. about money is so important because when we look at mm. Ebola, I think the UK, not the, U, the US, had like very low cases. I think it was like double digits. And in terms of like, I know this sounds so bad, but in terms of people who need the vaccine, who how many people need the vaccine for Ebola is very quite low mm. compared to people mm. who need coronavirus. So that's why all these companies, Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, they all want to because everyone in the world basically you know or majority of the people in the world are going to have to get vaccinated at some point and that is money in their pockets um and uh, let's say we're talking about ebola there's just not that many unless it becomes a global issue there's just not that many people who would buy their vaccine so maybe that plays a factor into it as yeah well. no it definitely does because you have to you have to remember these are drug companies and they have a bottom line and they need a return on their investment at the end of the day um which is a sad and a, a sad way to boil it down, but they do need to make money out of it. It's a little bit different with um, the coronavirus vaccines because they got so much funding from governments that all the risks were kind of taken out of it. Mm. And I know with the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, they've um, basically got a pact in a way that they said that when it goes to developing or low to middle income countries, it's gonna they're going to sell it at cost, so they're not going to make profit on it. Mm. But that's not the same with Pfizer. Pfizer has still got their bottom line at hand. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, yeah, because I find it crazy how the UK has vaccinated 80 million people. I mean, amazing for us, but there are some countries in, you know, in Africa or Asia who don't even have access to the vaccine yet. So it's a, it's, I mean, it's a bit worrying because, isn't it for, like, for the borders to open, Ideally, the main thing is to get everybody vaccinated. But if only like Western countries are vaccinated and you want to go abroad, how does that work out? Yeah, I actually think this is a shamble, personally. <laughs> this whole area <laughs> is a shamble because essentially, um, it's like, like you said, I see it as like an ethical thing. So you've got very, very rich countries who have basically bought up the supply of the vaccine, yep. essentially. Um, so, you know, in, in the UK, for example, you know, I'm in my thirties and I will get access to, I've got, I've been vaccinated. I'm not the best example, but use someone in their thirties, they're going to get vaccinated before a healthcare worker somewhere else. who's actually got constant exposure will get vaccinated simply because they live in the UK versus living somewhere else. And it's not actually acceptable. And that's not how we're going to bring a pandemic to the end, because like you said, with the borders, for example, you know, unless unless um, every single country is vaccinated or we've got about 70% of the world vaccinated, this pandemic, is the whole thing is not going to end. So I think there's an ethical case to making sure that we actually get most of the world vaccinated. I know that there is a organisation called COVAX. So for example, if you take um, the UK and they have bought up a ridiculous amount of vaccine supply, more than we need to vaccinate the UK you know because there was so much buying of the vaccine mm. so it, it well, how it happened was the idea you know the Pfizer vaccine before it was actually approved we'd already bought a supply of it just in case it was approved that mm. then we would have a supply to it um but because of that we've done that with the Moderna vaccine we've done that with the AstraZeneca we've done that with J&J &J. so now we have a ridiculous amount of supply so the idea is that excess supply that isn't required by countries would be donated to COVAX and that would be used to vaccinate the world. And also a lot of countries would then also donate money to COVAX so that they can use that to actually vaccinate the world. So there are programs in place. Obviously we have to see how fast that goes. And I know that some countries are now started receiving um, vaccinations through COVAX, but it is a real problem because if we can't vaccinate the world, 
our lives are not truly going to get back to normal. There's no point the UK being this island where we're all vaccinated and then the rest of the world isn't. Because while I love this island, I'm not planning to spend years of my life here. <laughs> I need to see something no. else. <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> no, honestly, and even like the politics of the vaccine and everything, because uh, one of uh, my friends, she's in Kosovo, and she hasn't gotten, they haven't started vaccinating people yet. And it's kind of ridiculous because we are getting vaccinated. And I was like, you know, what's going on? She was like, it's all politics over here because, you know, you know, Sputnik has their own, the Russian, the Chinese vaccine, you know, they're trying to gain power. I'm like, you know, these country true offering third world countries vaccine in that sort sort of way. So countries are having to choose, ooh, who would I get the vaccine for? It's kind of like, who is my ally in that sort of thing? So there's a lot of politics as well that's involved that I don't think it's needed <laughs> in this vaccine. Right? Very toxic. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Um, um, I just have one question. So we've talked about, you know, vaccines and how we're going to get it and all of that. Can you just explain to me and to our listeners how the vaccine, once it enters our body, how does it really work? Like, what is it doing? Is it stopping us from getting the coronavirus again? Or is it making our immune system stronger to fight against the coronavirus? So how, the minute it goes in, what should we be expected and how does it work? Okay, yeah. So if you imagine you've injected with your vaccine, it comes into your body and essentially what it does is it, your body, it, it, depending on which one you have, you either have the protein, I've not explained this well, you have the genetic material coming in, which your body basically uses to make a small part of the virus. So in this case, it'll be the sm- spike protein, which is on the surface of the virus, and you start to produce antibodies or T cells of your immune system. So these are cells that if you, when a virus normally infects you, one of the things it does is it infects other cells within your body. Um, And what T cells do is they come along and they kill any infected cells so that the virus can't escape and then go on and infect lots of other cells. So one thing it does is produce those T cells, but it also produces antibodies. Um, And antibodies are really important because if you have a virus, um, the antibody can recognize it and therefore prevent it going to infect other cells. So it's all about preventing further infection. The reason this is important is because if you're in, if you're injected with the vaccine and you produce the antibody mm-hmm. and the T cells with your first dose, that's kind of like the education stage. It's kind of like, oh, this is new. What's going on? We'll, we'll do something about this. When you have your second dose, your body has kind of seen it before and kind of knows how to react. So it kind of makes a really strong response and it makes it much faster, which is why we need two doses, because you get that first response and then you boost that response. And then the idea is that if you ever come in contact with the actual virus, so you've only come in contact with spike, but if you come in contact with the whole virus, your body has already seen it all before. So we'll either use its antibodies to recognize that spike protein so that it doesn't infect your cells. And if it does manage to make it into any of your cells, use your T cells who will kill that. I hope that makes sense. But essentially the idea is that it prevents you actually getting sick because of the fact that your immune system reacts straight away. So it never gets any further with its plans to infect you, essentially. Okay. Um, so um, we have about 10 minutes left. So yeah. um, I'm going to give my last question and then the girls um, yeah. also have probably last questions as well. 
So just, um, you've probably, you've mentioned this before. So is this a case of, you know, the way we live with the flu? Is this a case of we're going to be living with the coronavirus for the rest of our lives? It's like, we're going to, it's going to become like the flu. It's going to become like a daily part of our life. Is this what it is now? Should we just accept that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really hard one. I think fundamentally, we, I think we don't know that entirely what is going to happen with it. But I think the general thinking is that it probably is going to be endemic, at least within the UK. So it's always going to be here. It might be like the flu where you get peaks over the winter period and then it kind of disappears again over summer. But essentially, yeah, I think the vibe is that people think it's going to be here. And that's why the vaccination programme is so important because once we with young people we know that in general they don't seem to get too too sick but with older generations it's life-threatening so the vaccination program would be really important just to making sure that we don't get these massive deaths anymore but I think it might be something we're going to live with for a while yeah okay thank you so much girls um I just had one quick question um I remember so when I got the vaccine on Monday I felt very poorly Mm. but um I'm talking like completely bed bound almost. And then when my mom got it, she wasn't as poorly as me. Mm. I wanted to know, like, is that an indication of if I was to ever have got coronavirus, would I have had like really bad symptoms of coronavirus in comparison with my mom? Or is that no, is there no kind of correlation Mm. between the two? No, it's just different people react quite differently to it. So I don't think it's an indication of how you would fear with the actual, um, virus it's just that you've had a really strong response to it while your parent your mother hasn't so actually we see this quite commonly some people react really badly like for me my first dose was actually fine but when I had my second dose I was really really tired and yeah I felt really really quite tired and quite fatigued but in general it's just a variation between people that you all will have antibodies and all will have t-cells and a normal immune response yeah okay okay (laughs) thanks (laughs) Sam, any last questions? Okay, I- you're on mute. So I feel like with obviously we're now going towards the summer holidays and with the UK, we've been at home for like the longest time. I have a holiday booked in Mexico. I'm not vaccinated yet. From a medical perspective, would you encourage me to get a vaccine before I leave? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think if you if you are offered a vaccine, I'd say mm. take your vaccine in general. In terms of the specifics with Mexico, I wouldn't know, to be honest. But I would just always encourage you to get vaccinated if, it, if the option comes up for you. Um, but yeah, I don't know how bad the cases are in Mexico in general, but yeah. So. And with, obviously, I'm not high risk, so I haven't been mm. contacted. So do you, mm. so should we just wait? we get the call how is that like how are people being contacted yeah as far as i'm aware you're being contacted by the nhs and it's because the biggest risk factor of dying from or having severe disease is age so they're just working down the age routes and but also prioritizing Mm -hmm. people who have um severe conditions or people who um are high risk because of their jobs for example like healthcare workers so yeah it's going to take a while to it gets to younger people and um, like people in their 30s or people in their 20s but yeah I guess if I had a holiday booked I, I'd probably just go to be honest <laughs> vaccinated <laughs> or not but um 
you have to kind of take that risk in take that risk that you have and yeah kind of go with it okay and i promise i like before so this is my final final question i promise um just one myth about the coronavirus that you just it's been eating at you and you just like i want to set the record straight is there one myth or oh oh, there are there's so many there's so many (laughs) but uh, (laughs) but i think the one that gets people really stressed out i'd say is pregnancy and i think the the key things it's it's not going to affect your fertility that's that would be the key myth i want to say like there's you know a lot of people they didn't include pregnant women in the initial trial because that's standard practice for clinical trials and that's why pregnant women have not been advised to take the vaccine not because it is unsafe for people to take if you're pregnant and now because the trials have gone on for so long um some people who were on the trial you know found out they were pregnant and they're still fine and babies that have been born have been shown to have um some antibodies so they also have protection so i say let's kill the fertility myth you know i'm in my 30s i've taken my vaccine and i'm not worried so <laughs> you know <laughs> so you've heard people you can still have your babies everyone want to be moms or dads you can have your babies okay um not for us because we are going to be doing hot girl summer and pregnancy is definitely not in the books for any of us <laughs> pregnancy up and down please you can do it with and get um, vaccinated so that is all from us today thank you so much dr faye honestly you are like i don't know did anyone train you to do this you're like press perfect and so, i know i was gonna say that after we finished i was like this is ready like what no, really I'm no convinced. if people don't take the vaccine after this episode like y'all just tripping y'all just dumb yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You just had all the answers to our questions and everything was on deck. Like, honestly, if you're listening to this episode and you don't get vaccinated, that's your own problem because we have warned <laughs> you and we have told you. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, this is what the fuck is going on. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at what the fuck is going on. And also, it's okay if you want to drop a couple of DMs saying, guys, thank you for saving my life, all of that, blah, blah, blah. We'll take the credit. It's okay. Because we know we've done something great. We can't be happy about it. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you so much. And hope you guys have a good week. And hope you enjoyed our educational episode because I thought it was amazing. And again, thank you, Dr. Faye. Have a lovely week. And see you guys in the next Two weeks. Can I get a bye-bye? Bye. 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 <laughs>